It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 345 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo Community Podcast. This episode is called Another Acquisition. It is February 3rd, 2021, and this is Jen. So I'll start with my week in gaming because I did actually have time to play recently, and I've been working my way through Diablo 3. I've got some of the soul shards that are the big deal for uh, season 25 and have very little idea of what to do with them. So I've been trying to teach myself at least where to get them. I've gotten a few. I don't know how to get the item you need to upgrade the shards yet. I think I just have to keep playing because I think my character just hit level 50 and maybe you get more as you get bigger? I'm not sure, but if you want to see what I've been doing, I tend to put my gameplay videos on YouTube on my Book of Gen YouTube account, and it's all there. I've got various previous seasons and some other stuff in there too, so you can just watch and see, and if you see what I'm doing wrong, maybe let me know. So this episode is called Another Acquisition, and we'll be getting into that in just a minute, but between last episode and this one, we've got some Activision Blizzard things to talk about. And there was a screenshot from a Slack channel, it seems, or a channel. I don't know if it was a Slack channel or not, but it's a channel. Uh, the screenshot was posted by at Tech Jess, formerly at BlizzJess. And it is a VP of QA at Activision who posted this stuff. Oh, it is in a company Slack. I was right about that. I just... Didn't catch that until now. Um, but it's in a Slack channel where you can't reply to threads. This is what's in the channel. Written by whoever Christian Ahrens is. They wrote this. Hey everyone, I wanted to give you the below information related to what's going on at Raven. There's a thing that's, uh, there's a button in the way to see the rest of it. But it's, it's Raven, if at all, that impacts QA here. Feel free to also send me questions and I will answer them or get them answered, but note responses may be delayed. Now, that's interesting because uh, Tech Jess said that this was posted in a channel where you can't reply. So how are you going to do that exactly? First, I cannot stress this enough, and I cannot stress this enough, the company respects employees' NLRA rights to have these discussions about potential unionization and supports your rights to do so. Now, there is a numbered list, and all of them have been given the number one. I don't know why. So this is, here we are. One, (laughs) if one studio decides to unionize, does that mean that all Activision Studios slash QA would fall under the union? No, the union will only represent the bargaining unit as defined by the NLRB in relation to the specific petition. Was the union responsible for the company converting TEAs to FTEs? Question mark. Raven QA TEAs were converted to FTEs for business reasons, not in response to or in our relation to their views on unionization. Specifically, that conversation was part of the embed model for Raven QA. The status of these employees is the same as other employees and are subject to our policies and practices. We encourage employees to educate themselves on what unions can or cannot do. For example, we as a company respected the rights of the Raven strikers to strike, 
but we did not, nor were required to, under the law, agree to their demands. If you want more clarity on these issues, we suggest you reach out to HR directly. So they did something kind of skeezy, basically, in my opinion. I mean, first they fired 12 people for no reason with no warning. That led to a raven strike. And uh, so that's where they're, they're kind of coming from with this. It's interesting that they're going, oh, no, no, no. We didn't, you know, then go ahead and break up who was left in QA from Raven and put them in entirely different teams or it'd be harder to talk to each other about unionizing. No, no, no. This was the plan all along. It's got nothing to do with the unionizing. It's kind of, it's just sketchy. It's just a really sketchy kind of stuff, you know. To continue, how do I find out about the rules and requirements of union membership? We encourage you to perform your own research on the union. Many federal agencies collect data on unions so they can often be a great source of information. The Department of Labor, Office of Labor Management Standards, the National Labor Relations Board, and the Bureau of Labor Statistics are all great neutral places to start your search. You can also search the CWA's website and see what documents are made available publicly for your review. We heard that the union will protect employees and provide employees with job security. Here's the response. Job security here at ABK rests with our ability to produce epic entertainment for our fans. A union doesn't doesn't do anything to help us produce world-class games, and the bargaining process is not typically quick and often reduces flexibility and can be adversarial to lead and, uh, and lead to negative publicity. All of this could hurt our ability to continue creating great games. While many union contracts include a just cause provision and a grievance process, this is really just a different way to deal with disciplinary issues. Even union contracts with just cause and grievance procedures still allow companies to enforce disciplinary rules, and CWA members are disciplined and terminated even with these so-called protections. I'm not sure that's true. Honestly, I am not sure that's true. I don't know if that's what they're trying to, like, you know, Activision Blizzard King is trying to get people to believe. I mean, if your company has people that on, you know, in two areas now, one ABK and one Raven, uh, Raven basically, and they all want to unionize because you're not doing the right thing by your employees. You have let egregious, horrible things happen for years and you're still not paying women the same amount that a man would be paid given the same experience and job title. You're doing those things. You're um, putting out weird presser type things about how many women are in your company and that there's, you know, that you encouraged, uh, you, you want there to be more non-binary people and people of color and, and minority people, but then you kind of erase them out of your actual statistics. I mean, you split up a bunch of people from Raven to make it so they can't talk to each other. This is sketchy stuff. So if I were working for Activision Blizzard King or Raven, I don't think I'd be believing a word of what this person just put there you know it's just we can still we can still you know terminate you even with the with the union protections uh-huh and then you have a lawsuit from the union couple more how do you compare bargaining with a union to a direct relationship with the company in terms of changes for an individual employee In a direct relationship model where you and the company share goals, agreement is quick and the company can swiftly make changes. This is clearly a lie. They've had stuff going on for years. They had people go to like HR trying to get some sort of 
recompense for having been abused in the workplace in various ways. And none of this was quick. A lot of it was ignored. In some cases, there were people who were known to be abusers that were on their way out the frickin' door, and then somebody like Bobby Kotek said, no, 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 keep that one. I mean, this here is a flat-out lie, and I don't think anyone should believe that. It's swiftly, they can swiftly make changes. The agreement is quick. It's arbitration. That's what they were doing for years, arbitration, which means that you, as an employee who has had something bad happen, uh, who is asking the company to make amends, don't get to have a lawyer, don't get to contact a lawyer, generally are not allowed to talk about whatever goes on in there. Meanwhile, the union buster um, sides with the um, the company every time. I mean, this is, I don't know what candy-coated thing they decided to do here, but I cannot imagine the people that work there are buying it. And then there's one more. Well, actually, there's more to this. In a bargaining model, agreement and change comes quickly, where only where the union has the exact same goals and has no additional goals that it would rather insist on. It often takes months or years to come to a collective bargaining agreement. A unionized company cannot act quickly on its own if the union does not agree with its position. In both situations, the company remains free to disagree and maintain a different position. So what they're trying to say here is that, uh, oh, no, no, don't do a union. It's not going to help you. I mean us. I mean you. You know, that's kind of what they're talking about. And it isn't true that things can take years. I mean, Sometimes they can take years, but typically once you have people that are working to unionize and they get involved with a group that can unionize them, do the whole thing with signing the union cards and making agreements and all that stuff, they're in a union. Ta-da! You know what I mean? It doesn't take long. Now, what generally backs things up is big corporations that don't want to recognize the union, and I think that's what we're seeing here, and it's disgusting. Give people a union. Let them have their union. You don't have to actually they don't have to give it. You don't have to have permission from your overlord capitalism bosses to make a union. You just have enough have to get enough people that want to and a union group that can, you know, work you through it and represent you in cases of uh, being ignored about things you need, you know? And the last one, I filled out the union's form online. Does that mean I must vote for the union in an election if one occurs? Now, how blatant a pressure point is this in this little piece of slack, I guess, you know? The response, even though you may have signed a union authorization card, you are not obligated to vote for the union during an election should one occur. Remember, the NLRB's elections are conducted by, quote, secret ballot, end quote, so nobody will know which which way any employee votes unless the employee chooses to share this information. What am I getting from all this? They're scared. They're terrified that they're about to have so many workers unionize and that this will force change for the better on ABK. That's what this is. That's why you've got this like happy little thing. Oh yeah, reach out if you've got any questions, then put it in a Slack channel where you can't respond. This is just ridiculous. I don't know who thought this would be good. If it were me, if I was working for any company that did this exact same kind of stuff, I'd be especially suspicious of anyone posting this kind of stuff where you can't even respond publicly. There's an article from Polygon and Polygon's article is titled Microsoft's Acquisition of Activision Blizzard will be reviewed by the FTC. I'll read you a little bit from that. Microsoft's massive deal to acquire Activision Blizzard could face a difficult review process. The Federal Trade Commission will review the deal rather than the Justice Department, according to a report from Bloomberg. The deal, which Microsoft expects to close by the end of fiscal quarter 4, 2023, will see Microsoft gain control of major franchises like Call of Duty, Warcraft, Starcraft, 
Diablo, and Overwatch. Microsoft has stated that it plans to keep releasing many of these games on Sony's PlayStation platform, at least as long as current contract agreements are in place, but potential remains for Xbox to shut its competitor out of some of the biggest franchises in the world should the deal go through. While both of these U.S. regulatory bodies are in charge of reviewing acquisitions, one generally takes the lead, and in this case that will be the FTC, headed by Lena Khan. Both the FTC and the Justice Department have promised to be harsher on big tech, but Khan has been particularly outspoken in her opposition to potential monopolies. Microsoft closed a similar but smaller deal to acquire Bethesda early last year, but that deal's process started under the previous administration's regulatory bodies and before Khan and her stricter stance arrived at the FTC. Microsoft's deal isn't the only one going on, and we'll get to that one in just a little bit here. Going back to the union-related stuff, the Communication Workers of America, which is, um, well, they're they're a union, um, and they have uh, sent something to uh, Gary Gensler, the chair of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, and they wrote this, re, request for investigation of inaccurate and misleading disclosures in Activision Blizzard Inc., agreement and plan for merger with Microsoft Corporation. I'll read you a little bit of this. The Communication Workers of America, CWA, requests that the Securities and Exchange Commission investigate Activision Blizzard Inc. based on evidence of inaccurate and misleading disclosures in Activision's agreement and plan of merger with Microsoft's corporation. As attached to its announcement of the merger, Agreement on a forum uh, from January 2022, January 19, 2022. Our examination of Activision's filing reveals that, yeah, okay, here's what they say. One, Activision states that it's not aware of any effort by its employees to organize a union when, in fact, company executives were, for several months prior to January 19, 2022, fully aware that a large group of their employees was seeking to organize a union with support from the Communication Workers of America, CWA. So, this kind of, for me, links back to that, you know, here's a here's a thing to dissuade you from joining a union in a Slack post where you can't respond. This has probably got some connection to this in one way or another. I mean, clearly, if you're, one of your high-ups is posting the, oh, no, 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 don't join a union, it would be bad for you. I mean us, I mean you. Stuff in, you know, channels where workers are meant to see it. It's clear they are aware of the unionization efforts. They're probably screwed on that. At this point, you can't say, oh, no, they, we didn't know they were going to unionize when you're talking about it in regular channels within the company. Two, Activision states that there are no ongoing strikes, lockouts, or similar work actions among its workforce. In fact, Activision employees have engaged in multiple strikes and work actions during the time this merger was being discussed by Activision and Microsoft, one of which was still ongoing as of January 19, 2022. Activision states there is no, quote, material unfair labor practice complaint, end quote, filed against the company at the National Labor Relations Board, when in fact, just such a complaint alleging multiple violations of the National Labor Relations Act over several months was filed by the CWA in September of 2021 and is ongoing as of January 19, 2022. As a result of these omissions, readers of Activ Activision 
Activision's merger. As a result of these omissions, readers of Activision's merger filing may be misled into believing that the company's well-documented workplace disputes, including widespread allegations of abusive behavior, including sexual harassment and sexual assault, and multiple strikes and other work stoppages, all of which have received extensive national coverage in multiple media outlets, have been comprehensively resolved. In fact, these disputes are ongoing, and both Activision management and its board were well aware that these disputes were unresolved. The significant negative effect that the revelation of these disputes has had on Activision's share price since they first became the subject of widespread public attention in late summer 2021 suggests that beyond merely failing to take care to ensure that it made accurate representations to readers of the merger agreement, Activision may have acted with an improper motive to conceal the true status of its workplace disputes. And there's a little blurb here about what the CWA is. It represents workers in private and public sector employment um, and uh, has 1,200 chartered CWA local unions. There's a background on Blizzard Entertainment. We know what that is and we know what Microsoft Corporation is and how it relates to all of this. Uh, There's also a definition of a better ABK Workers Alliance. So here's... uh, it gets kind of nitpicky from here and it's pointing out to this Gary Gensler person exactly what dates different things occurred that would, you know, indicate that, yeah, um, they knew, they knew there was unionization type things happening. They knew there were strikes. They knew there were this sort of thing. So I don't know what will happen with this, but probably something, it seems kind of important. The Game Workers of Southern California, GWSC, is an independent collective game of game workers building community and organizing in the so-called SoCal Southern California game industry. And one of the people that someone posted on Medium and the game uh, GWSC has picked it up. And it's a kind of an interesting article. It's called A Player's Guide to Supporting the Labor Movements in Games. And there's this lovely piece of art that looks like you know, the, the old days where if you bought like, um, well, a Pokemon game or something, you'd need to go buy a paper strategy guide so you'd know what to do. And there's like a hand reaching for it. Like they're going to buy that one off the stack of them. Um, and it's got some pretty simple things in here. I'll just read you the headers. And if you're interested, uh, you can get into Medium. Uh, if you have no Medium subscription at all whatsoever, you can still read one thing. And I'll put links to everything I talk about into the show notes at ShatteredSoulStone.com so you could still read this thing. But basically, here are the key points. The golden rule, follow the worker's lead. You want to do what they're telling you to do. You don't want to cross that. There's a little information about a strike and a union at Raven because they they have unionized. <laughs> you know, uh, eventually here, uh, social media tips and tricks. They encourage supportive messages from fans of the games and fans of the workers to keep the organizers going, uh, positive social media strategies, uh, highlight specific demands. So like if ABK says, here are the four things we want to see, maybe boost that and get that spread around further. That can help make more people know what's going on and maybe, encourage more people to support it uh amplify real workers and organizations that's a that's a good it's like signal boosting to make people know that the uh walkouts and strikes were happening and share positive energy people that are working to unionize and all of that can it's exhausting because they have to really fight before their company will finally allow well not even allow they'll have to force their company to say we recognize the union And I think there's some legal stuff behind that that I'm not entirely clear on, but there's that. What they don't want you to do, they don't want you to spread misinformation. Um, This reminds me of like a lot of people were 
promoted hashtags saying like on, I think one of the days of the strike, they wanted people to stop playing Blizzard Activision King games for just that day and then go back to it to kind of emphasize that this is serious and important and that the people who play the games and pay money to play them or buy them really agree with the workers. But some people have kind of warped that into saying, oh, well, they don't want us to play their games, so you shouldn't be playing these games and then start picking on people that were still playing the games after that point in time. And then misunderstanding boycotts people don't always understand what that is the other big one is not to intrude on personal conversations so if someone said this horrible horrible thing happened to me at my gaming company where i worked for or currently work for don't jump in and like you know there's they're sharing this to let their coworkers know what's going on let their friends know what they lived through why this is so important that things change but they don't need randos to come in and put in their own two cents so it's just stuff like that and then also don't harass the customer support people they have nothing to do with this they don't have any control over what blizzard activision king or whatever other gaming company heads are doing Uh, or not doing so it's just something like that and if you want to just think about wait is this thing i'm about to tweet a good idea you might want to check that out and see if it fits protocol has an article about raven and it's titled gaming companies never unionize call of duty developers decided to anyway just days after microsoft announced its plans to acquire activision blizzard the quality assurance devs for call of duty became only the second group of u.s-based video game workers to ever formally organize there's a vodeo studios that organized Previous to this, they're a small studio, but they did it. Um, so there's uh, you know a bunch of stuff in here I may have already said, and it's a pretty good thing. It's got quotes from people that were kind of working on this sort of thing. In gaming, workers have been left unprotected when, for instance, a game flops, a contract falls through, or a project is put on ice or rebooted. Often, employees of game studios bear the financial brunt of mismanagement or the whims of publishers or parent companies forced to move projects or relocate to other states. That's what Raven had to do, uh, the QA workers, uh, to take on new employees because of factors outside of their control. These market conditions and workplace norms have created a culture of exploitation in the game industry where unstable contract work, long and brutal hours known as crunch, and layoffs are routine and expected. And because few game developers have a say over the conditions in which they work, the industry has become a breeding ground for sexual harassment and discrimination. And this includes, they mentioned the Activision Blizzard uh, stuff that we all know about. Raven, which is located in Madison, Wisconsin, has been largely absent from this movement, which took on the name ABK Workers Alliance in the immediate aftermath of the lawsuit. Though the ABK group, through the ABK group, workers at subsidiaries like Blizzard Entertainment have have organized employee protests, amassed thousands of employee signatures calling for CEO Bobby Kotek to resign, and ultimately influenced Activision Blizzard's decision to sell the company to Microsoft earlier this month in a landmark $68.7 billion deal. Um, and then there's, you know, there's a lot of interesting things. If you want to know what the behind the scenes were trying to set up the union uh, through Raven, that's a good article to check out. And then we have another acquisition, but this isn't with Activision Blizzard King. This is with PlayStation and Bungie. So there's a, well, you know, you know, <laughs> um, so... The PlayStation blog says Bungie is joining PlayStation. It's got a lovely little icon of uh, a Bungie logo and a PlayStation logo together. 
A legendary developer to join PlayStation as independent multi-platform studio and publisher, written by Jim Ryan, president and CEO of Sony Interactive Entertainment. And I'll read you a little bit of this. Today I am happy to announce Bungie will be joining the PlayStation family. First off, I want to be very clear to the community that Bungie will remain an independent and multi-platform studio and, and publisher. As such, we believe it makes sense for it to sit alongside the PlayStation Studios organization, and we are incredibly excited about the opportunities for synergies and collaboration between these two world-class groups. I've spent a lot of time with Pete Parsons, Jason Jones, and the Bungie management team to develop the right relationships where they will be fully backed and supported by Sony Interactive Entertainment and enabled to do what they do best, build incredible worlds that captivate millions of people. Bungie's world-class experience in multi-platform development and live game services will help us deliver on our vision of expanding PlayStation to hundreds of millions of gamers. Bungie is a great innovator and has developed incredible proprietary tools that will help PlayStation Studios achieve new heights under Herman Hulse's leadership. And then there's some quotes from a bunch of people in here that I'll leave you to read. So that's that. And then also, of course, the Bungie website has its own take on it. So they've titled it Bungie Joins Sony Interactive Entertainment. We believe games have limitless potential and to do... Th- and that to do anything worthwhile in entertainment, we must bet big on our vision, on our studio, and on our incredible team of trusted creators who build unforgivable worlds that truly matter to people. In SIE, we have found a partner who unconditionally supports us in all we are and who wants to accelerate our vision to create generation-spanning entertainment, all while preserving the creative independence that beats in Bungie's heart. Like us, SIE believes that game worlds are only the beginning of what our IPs can can become. Together we share a dream of creating and fostering iconic franchises that unite friends around the world, families across generations, and fans across multiple platforms and entertainment mediums. Today Bungie begins our journey to become a global multimedia entertainment company. And it looks like they are, they're saying that they will have creative freedom in here. There's a lot of extra paragraphs that don't all need to go into this show. Uh, but part of it says, we remain in charge of our destiny. Interesting. Uh, we will continue to independently publish and create creatively develop our games we will continue to drive one big unified bungee community our games will continue to be where our community is wherever they choose to play so that indicates that maybe you know there was some concern that activision blizzard king uh being uh acquired by microsoft would mean microsoft was going to pull all the call of duty games off of playstation and on to put them on xbox some are already there on xbox but then that was quashed by uh, the Xbox Phil Spencer, who said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. So I think this part here is letting gamers know that, okay, well, we're going to be over on PlayStation, but the stuff that's on Xbox is probably going to stay there. So that's that's a thing. Ars Technica has an article titled, A Wacky $3.6 Billion End to Gaming Acquisition January, Sony Buys Bungie. House that built Halo will now build content for Sony, yet pledges to remain cross-platform. This is written by Sam Makovich, and I'll read you a little bit from that. After Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard King, talk turned to how Sony and its PlayStation division would deal with the fallout of the purchase. If the Xbox becomes the exclusive home of Call of Duty games, which we now know is not likely to happen, uh, would Sony be left out of the megaton first-person shooter space? 
Would Sony fire back with a major acquisition of its own? On Monday, Sony announced plans to acquire Bungie and its Destiny series of shooters in a deal reportedly valued at $3.6 billion. In an email to Ars Technica, a Sony rep declined to confirm that figure. Somehow, this pricey purchase includes a firm pledge from Bungie. Despite its new corporate overlords, Bungie's, quote, future games, end quote, will not be PlayStation exclusives. Bungie had clearly prepared to announce this news to its active Destiny 2 user base, which plays on a variety of non-PlayStation platforms like Steam, Google Stadia, and of course, Xbox. Its Destiny 2-specific FAQ confirms that the game's current content map is set until at least uh, 2024, when a project dubbed The Final Shape launches. All planned content will continue to work cross-platform without any PlayStation, quote, console exclusive forks or DLC, the company said. And from here, there's a bit of speculation about, you know, what if Activision had held on for two more years? I'll read you a little tiny bit of this, at least the first paragraph. What does Sony get from this deal then? In addition to the potential revenue that might be derived from Bungie's current and future projects, even on rival platforms, PlayStation chief Herman Holst hinted that Bungie would bring value to the entire PlayStation portfolio. In his announcement of today's news, Holst says his team will be excited about what we can share and learn from from Bungie. This doesn't necessarily mean that portions of the Bungie staff will become secondary development teams on PlayStation exclusive games, or that the PC focused teams will take the lead on PC ports of existing console exclusive titles, but becoming part of the PlayStation first party family would allow Sony to redirect Bungie's efforts in a way that doesn't strip Bungie games of their cross-platform promises. And it goes on from there quite a bit. So, um, a few more paragraphs, I guess. Discord is jumping into things. Uh, They've posted a tweet on the same day as all this other stuff, it looks like. January 31st, maybe... I don't know, right around then. Uh, That's when the tweet was posted as to how this connects to the rest. I don't know. I can't map out right now in my head if this was all the same day. But they tweeted, PlayStation X Discord. We're gradually rolling out the ability to link your PlayStation Network account to share what games you're playing. Learn how to connect your account here. And there is a link to a Discord, um, probably informational thing of some kind. And it's got a, a little picture in the tweet with a little robot looking guy kind of pointing up to the PlayStation logo and the uh, lo- the uh, little guy from the Discord, you know, sort of pointing at the Discord logo. And so that's a thing. If you want to have more of your friends know what you're playing on whatever platform, you could do that. It might help if, you know, somebody gets into Discord and goes, oh, hey, so-and-so's playing that game. I want to play that game and just kind of jump in and maybe form a group or something if possible. Some games don't do that, but most do. So... There you go. And uh, for people that don't play consoles at all, I guess you're going to see some more like game spam in the side of your Discord when your friends start playing. And then we have GameStop. And <laughs> I'm going to read you part of a Forbes article about what happened with GameStop recently. Uh, this was written today, actually, February 3rd. GameStop's 100 million NFT marketplace is going to go poorly, written by Paul Tassi on Forbes. I'll read you a little bit of this. GameStop appears to be growing desperate in order to manage to survive in the current video game landscape as everything transitions to digital downloads and the cloud. They found new life as a meme stock this past year, and now they're attempting to capitalize on what they view as another trend, NFTs and the blockchain. And boy, does this sure seem like it's going to, it's set up to go poorly. 
The Wall Street Journal is reporting that GameStop is launching an NFT marketplace with an Australian blockchain startup Immutable, a quote, carbon neutral, end quote, platform that uses Ethereum. The plan is to make a fund of up to $100 million that will be distributed to video game developers to create NFTs for its marketplace that could be used in games. The problems? There are many. First, the vast majority of video game developers appear to have little to no interest in NFTs. A recent survey in GDC's State of the Game Industry report found that 70% of developers were not interested in NFTs and 72% were not interested in using cryptocurrency for payment. Then there are the examples of how developers of NFT projects have have gone over in the gaming community. Ubisoft has been widely mocked for its NFT integration into Ghost Recon Breakpoint. Stalker and Team 17 were forced to shut down NFT-related projects after immediate backlash. Voice actor Troy Baker was forced to drop an NFT project he was backing. And even EA, who previously called NFTs the, quote, future of the industry, end quote, just a few months ago, backed off hard on NFTs just yesterday, refusing to commit to them as a monetization strategy going forward, saying it wasn't something they were currently, quote, driving toward. Given how long something like this takes to set up, I think GameStop made a gamble a few months ago on this idea, but now that it's coming to fruition, the gaming public's perception on NFTs has generally gone from confused about them to hate them. And it's hard to imagine any logical developer looking at how every single mainstream gaming NFT project has gone and want to partner with GameStop for this marketplace and jam something from it into their games. So there's more from that, but that's kind of the idea. Like, what do you do in GameStop? I mean... I, I just can't imagine, you know, GameStop doesn't make games. They sell games. They don't make games. So now they're hoping that this NFT thing will somehow monetize GameStop, I guess, by working with gaming companies that it seems a large majority of people in those companies don't really want to mess around with NFTs and games. And a lot of gamers have been very public on Twitter saying, no, don't put that in my game. So what do you do in GameStop? I don't really know got a little bit of Diablo news in here and and other stuff. I found this one especially interesting. The Diablo account posted, they're doing the 25 years of Diablo where there's got the logo and then they give you some little snippet of information about previous things going on with the Diablo games. And this one has what looks like maybe a necromancer and a barbarian in the middle and one of those little red demon imps that have fire and probably uh, spawn little beings, those. So we're talking about Diablo 2. And this is the thing that was described. uh, It was described as, For Diablo 2 Resurrected, developers used a barbarian sprite to scale every character and item in the game. And the Diablo account says, It seems barbarians are useful beyond the battlefield, (laughs) which I thought was kind of snarky and amusing in in many ways. As someone who typically plays a barbarian, I'm not doing it in um, Diablo 3 this this, uh, season 25. Um, I am still playing a barbarian in Diablo 2, so... Go barbarians, everything was based on you, I suppose, you know. There is still an open position on the community team for Diablo. They're looking for a community manager to join the crew. And this is on top of the influencer relationship manager position that was posted the other day. And this was posted by Adam Fletcher, who is at Pez Radar and is global community development lead for Diablo, Diablo Immortal, Blizz Heroes, etc. at Blizzard. So if you're interested in that, there'll be a link in the show notes and you can track it down and see if that's something for you. 
And then we have a video here, a YouTube video from someone named Zitmus, who is a Diablo 2 YouTuber. And it's uh, he wrote this tweet, lots of time and effort into this one. I think I created some new meta for Zealers. And there's a link to the YouTube video. And it uh, appears to be titled Diablo 2 Budget Zeal Complete Build Guide 2.4 PTR. So you can check that out if you want to try whatever this build might be. And at the beginning of the show, I mentioned that I was having trouble figuring out the soul shards and the little slivers and stuff and how this all goes together and where you get them and all these kinds of things I have figured out. Like I have some of them and I'm certain I stuck a sliver of terror into my monk's uh, helm because you have to put the primary ones, like the primary evil stuff goes in your helm, the lesser evils goes in your weapon obviously with a socket in either of those things. And I've I've gotten far enough where I can put one in the helm. I don't yet have a decent weapon with a socket. And I, I think my character just hit level 50 because I've been working on other things outside of Diablo, but I can't figure out how to level them up. And I was just, I was having a really hard time with that. So if you're in the same situation, there's a really good explanation of soul shards on max roll. And again, I'll link it into the show notes. And it talks about, you know, where to get them, what the odds are kind of of getting them, what some of them do, this sort of thing. So it's my understanding that I'm going to have to find a Hellforge Ember and I haven't seen any yet. So... Maybe I need those, and you know, it, it kind of shows you like you're gonna find these shards in Act One, these in Act Two, you know, three, four, and five. So you can kind of figure out, well, I need this. I'm gonna go there and try to get it. That's the way to do it. If you were playing through the now over with for this year, Darkening of Tristram, you probably got some soul shards out of that from like the Butcher and maybe the Skeleton King. I know I got some from the Butcher for sure. So you might have some from that. And, you know, then there's some uh, ideas about how these work. There's like a positive and a negative to these things. And I'll leave you to read through that if you're as you were as confused as I am about some of these things. But there's other stuff going on at Blizzard that isn't Diablo. And I think it's kind of interesting to know about because I figure. While many of us mostly focus on the Diablo games uh, here with Shattered Soulstone um, podcast and community, there are others, and some of you might be playing some of those other games, and that's fine if that's what you want to do. But you should be aware there is a policy update for organized in-game services for the uh, World of Warcraft stuff. And this was written by Caviex, who is a community manager. It's a blue note, so to speak, where all the printing is in blue, and it's on the forum. A general discussion forum, apparently. He wrote this, or she wrote this. I really don't have any idea the gender of this person, so I'm going to see they wrote this. As the conditions change by which various entities operate in World of Warcraft, we are compelled to update our policies to further our goal of making the gameplay experience as fair and welcoming as possible. Since we last updated our policies, we have found that an increasing disturbance of the gameplay experience has been caused by organizations excessively advertising various non-traditional services in-game. As of today, and this was January 31st, we will now prohibit organizations who offer boosting, matchmaking, escrow, or other non-traditional services, including those offered for gold. World of Warcraft accounts found to be in violation of this policy are subject to account actions. These actions can include warnings, account suspensions, and if necessary, 
permanent closure of the disruptive World of Warcraft account or accounts, organizations operating across multiple realms and excessively advertising non-traditional in-game sales are contrary to the terms and conditions of the Blizzard End User License Agreement, EULA. This policy does not restrict individuals or guilds from using the provided in-game tools, trade channel chat, for example, to buy and sell in-game items or activities for in-game currency. However, boosting communities, especially those who operate across multiple realms, are no longer permitted. We urge all such organizations to cease doing business in World of Warcraft immediately in order to maintain uninterrupted access to the game. So if you're doing those things, you may want to stop because it sounds like they might eventually take your account or accounts away for doing it. And then we have the announcement of cross-faction instances. This one's written by Ian Hazacostas, also on January 31st. So I guess everything happened on January 31st, at least publicly. They are making changes. Like right now, if you play World of Warcraft, you pick Alliance or you pick Horde. And in some cases, like I have characters on both sides. None of them are very high level because I just don't interact in WoW for, for much. You know, I'm mostly playing Diablo stuff, but they're there and I can like switch around and play with friends in whatever way, you know, that way. But it's just fun. I like to see the variety of characters and run through little quests and stuff. So um, I have both, but I can't, you know, bring my Horde character over to play with my friends who play Alliance and I can't bring my Alliance character over to play with my friends who play Horde. So now you can, (laughs) it seems. And I'll read you a little bit of this. Some of this is... um, I'll just read you the first part here. For years now, many players have questioned whether the rules restricting communication and cooperation between Alliance and Horde need to be so absolute. The faction divide could keep close friends from playing together or cause players to feel that their faction leaves them with far fewer opportunities to pursue their favorite group content. But these downsides have long been justified in order to preserve a central element of the Warcraft universe. It all began with a game titled Warcraft, Orcs, and Humans, right? But to quote a one-time war chief of the Horde, times change. I am pleased to announce that we are working on adding the ability for Alliance and Horde players to form pre-made parties together for dungeons, raids, and rated rated PvP. There have been two decades worth of code and content crafted with the assumption that parties can only have players of a single faction. And while we want to make this feature available as soon as possible, the extent of the change means it couldn't be ready in time for the upcoming Eternity's End content update. Instead, we are planning to test and release it as part of a subsequent 9.2.5 update We're eager to hear your feedback about the details we're sharing today and on the details of our implementation when this feature becomes available to the public test realm following the release of Eternity's End. In crafting the rule set for this new feature, we were guided by two goals. Focus on organized instanced gameplay. Dungeons, raids, and raided PvPs have been at the center of the most compelling arguments for relaxing the faction divide. This is content that, by definition, requires a pre-made group, and thus social barriers will have the greatest negative impact on people's ability to access these experiences on their preferred terms. Make this an opt-in feature as much as possible. In terms of in-world fiction and player preferences, there are decades of animosity to overcome. While we are excited to offer players the choice to reach across the faction divide and cooperate to overcome common foes, we know that there are many who will react warily to this change, and we don't want to override those preferences. This is about increasing options for players. These guidelines led us to the following system. Players will be able to directly invite members of the opposite faction to a party, if you have a battle tag or real ID friendship, or if you are members of a cross-faction WoW community. Pre-made groups on the group finder listing for Mythic Dungeons
dungeons, raids, or raided arena slash RBGs will be open to applicants of both factions, though the group leader may choose to restrict the listing to same faction applicants if they so choose. Guilds will remain single faction, and random match-made activities like heroic dungeons, skirmishes, or random battlegrounds will all remain same faction, both because there is less faction-driven pressure around random groups and to avoid compromising the opt-in nature of the feature by randomly placing a queuing orc in a group with a night elf. And uh, once, the, once in a party together, the members of the opposite faction will remain friendly while in the, quote, outdoor world and fully hostile in war mode, as they do today, though they will be able to communicate through party chat. Upon entering a dungeon raid or raided PvP match, however, all members will be friendly and able to assist each other in combat, trade loot, earn shared achievements, and otherwise fully cooperate the same way members of the same faction always have been able to. Um, and it kind of goes from there. There's more things to, to read there if you want to know more about it. And then we have some stuff for Heroes of the Storm <laughs> that uh, just came out a couple days ago, February 1. And there's a new balance patch for Heroes of the Storm. And uh, there's news here about that, which I can grab real quick. Heroes of the Storm balance patch notes, February 1, 2022. Um, it's some balance changes. So for tanks, Diablo is getting additional functionality upon reaching level 10. Souls consumed when resurrecting is, is decreased from 100 to 275. And there's an armor reduction thing and a hellfire thing. And I haven't played this in a really long time. Um, the ETC's talents are, uh, let's see, health increased 2,250 to 2,280. Health regeneration increased from this to that. The developer comment is talents are competing with each other nicely, so we're just raising the volume. The Diablo comment was, Diablo is weakened longer than we would like after resurrecting with Black Soulstone, and we want him back wreaking havoc sooner. There's a whole bunch of other stuff. There's something with Malthiel, um, and I'll just read the developer comments because it's easier. We want Malthiel to be a more formidable threat overall, and especially when against high health opponents. There's Urel, which is a World of Warcraft character. Um, that's got some stuff. There's um, Malfurion, a bunch of, you know, there's some like WoW characters in here. And then there's uh, Asmodon is a ranged assassin. Uh, Asmodon's win rate has consistently settled above our preference after the increase in Globe of Annihilation's damage, scaling from 2.5% to 4% per level, so we're knocking it down a peg. We're also trying to diversify how players use Demonic Invasion, so it doesn't feel like the right option is always to cast it on enemy structures. <laughs> That's kind of funny. There's some more other ones that are not from the Diablo games, and you can look at those if you want to play Heroes of the Storm. Honestly, I haven't played it in a very long time. It was kind of fun. I tend to do solo stuff because I have no idea what I'm doing in there, and I don't want to like make people angry if I do it wrong or something. But it's there if you want to play it. There's still people playing it, and there's still an active community. You know, and they're like updating some things, which is always a good sign in a game that's been around for a while that they're doing some updates. And that's all I have today for Shattered Soulstone news and stuff like that. So I'm going to go ahead and close out the show. You have been listening to episode 345 of the Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. Come join us in game. Our in-game community and clan in Diablo 3, at least, both named Shattered, are both named Shattered Soulstone and are open to every, anyone who would like to join. You can also join us on the Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page, as well as the Shattered Soulstone website. Thank you for listening.